Here are details of some of tonight's programs. At nine o'clock, you can hear a dramatized serial of the fall of the House of Usher. Tonight's episode is entitled, Usher, Usher, All Fall Down. <laughs> and at 10.30 on BBC Three, the Israeli Little Theatre Group are presenting their dance and mime company, the Yiddisher Mamas. <laughs> Meanwhile, for those of you more easily pleased, here's 30 minutes of star-studded rubbish as Kenneth Horne takes you round the hall. The story so far. Husky, strapping Betty Marsden is madly in love with sweet, ethereal Kenneth Williams. He of the bedroom eyes and bathroom mind. <laughs> Together they stroll through the thick, tangled undergrowth played by thick, tangled Hugh Paddock. <laughs> in his ineffable manner, as opposed to his usual manner, which is extremely affable. Pausing by the trunk of a petrified oak, played by petrified Bill Pertwee, he took her in his arms, his firm young kneecaps pressed against the madras cotton of his trousers. Her mouth became a scarlet wound of anguish as she gasped out the words, Good evening, my name's Kenneth Hawke. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Round the Horn. Well, that was Douglas Smith, who appears by permission of the Footscray branch of the Edgar Luscarton Fan Club and Burial Society. <laughs> now, it's nice to have the chance to now be... Now, Oh, quiet, Williams, quiet. Today, today is the 300th anniversary of the death of the man who became known as the father of the Christmas pudding. <laughs> His name was Richard Serendipity Mountbasket. <laughs> known to his friends in the pudding clique as Spotted Dick. <laughs> he had experimented with puddings for years and had already given the world rice pudding, cabinet pudding, peas pudding, and incidentally, the ballpoint pen that would write under porridge. <laughs> which is very... Uh, very popular in Scotland, but uh, that's another story. His, uh, his first Christmas pudding was commissioned by the workhouse master and was a rude affair. <laughs> no one knows what became of it. <laughs> With, of course, the possible exception of the workhouse master and one or two inmates. His... Um, <laughs> His end was tragic. One day, while experimenting with different Christmas pudding mixes and having mixed the batter and put in sultanas and raisins, he quite accidentally added an electric current. Then he picked up his electric razor, switched it on, and... <laughs> and the explosion was tremendous. And so it is that his tombstone bears the epitaph, Richard Serendipity Mountbasket, born in Somerset, died in Somerset, Gloucestershire, and Devon. <laughs> you think they didn't have electric razors 300 years ago, well, mind your own business. Now, <laughs> and now to our feature, the backroom boys of the BBC. They've been in there five weeks now. I know they have, yes. <laughs> this week, this week the personnel department, where a highly skilled panel screens possible employees to make sure that the right man gets the right job. should have given that last that chap the job. He had the right background. I don't agree. Well, we don't want that type of person in the BBC. I mean, look what he said. Well, he said he was a fellow of all souls. Who said what it was? 
You know, I thought he said he played Othello at Walsall. Well, uh, shall we have the next one in? Uh, yes, and remember it is our duty to make sure that we only employ the best type of person with the right type of background, even though it is only for a menial position. Please, my old grandfather. It's not hyphenated. <laughs> J. Please, my old grandfather. Esquire. I'm not titled or anything, you see. No. That's all right. <laughs> we are. We are very democratic here. Now, why did you apply for this job? Well, I sent me up here from the Labour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, either this or a window dresser in the horse meat shop. <laughs> uh, and I, I got turned down for that, so I come here. I and, see. Uh, well, you, uh, you couldn't have made a better choice. Thank you. Very nice of you. Well, at all. Think nothing of it. Now, there are a few questions that we must ask you. Oh, yes. Why do you want to work for the BBC? I want to get my hands on Judith Chalmers. What we meant was, if we gave you a job in the BBC, what would you actually like to do? I'd like to get her in a broom cupboard. And... <laughs> oh, yes, yes. <laughs> the voices, you see, and they tell me what to do. Go forth, the voices said. Go up the BBC and get your hands on Judith <laughs> I see, I see. Now, where do you feel your special aptitude lies? What sort of post did you have in mind? Well, I'd like the job of Director General of Broadcasting. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry, old chap, but Sir Hugh Green's already got it. Oh, just like up the horse meat shop. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, if the job as Director General is gone, I wouldn't mind going for to be Director of the Spoken Word or Head of Talks or Stoking the Boilers. <laughs> Something where there's luncheon vouchers in. What sort of salary did you have in mind? About 5,000 a year, if I was director of the spoken word, I'll take £2.10 a week if it's the boilers. It's all the same to me, it's the voices, you see. Yes. The voices, what tell me? Yes, it's a very reasonable attitude. Now, uh, Mr. Grant... Grant Futtock. Yes. Mr. Yes. Grant Patrick. Right. Uh, oh, yes, I There's think no I've got it now. Uh, if you wouldn't mind leaving us for a moment, uh, I must consult with my colleague. Yeah, well, I'll hang about in the waiting room, then drawing on the wall till you're ready. <laughs> you will, Lady Brink? Poor devil, I really do feel sorry for people like that. He's completely unstable, illiterate, <laughs> aggressive, and utterly stupid. Yes, I agree. Entirely agree. <laughs> He should be put out of the way, in a place where he can do no harm to anybody. Uh, then you think... Yes, it's the best thing for him, poor simpleton. Let's, uh, let's call him in. Come in, Mr. Grunt. Uh, Grunt, uh, uh, Grunt. Uh, yes. Uh, sorry to have kept you waiting. That's all right. <laughs> no, we've, uh, we've come to a decision. 
We can't offer you the job of stoking the boilers because, ah. well, frankly, you're not up to it. Oh. But there is one job we can offer you which seems uh, in keeping with your uh, personality, uh, qualifications and temperament. Oh, the head of Channel 2? Uh, not quite as bad as that. Oh. No, no. <laughs> no. You're going to be the new compare of not so much a programme... just say that all the characters portrayed in that sketch were, of course, living or dead or Kenneth Williams. <laughs> and now, episode five of the Clissold Saga. Once again today, we salute that grand old boiler, Beatrice Clissold. <laughs> An actress who delighted so many people a few years ago in the little huts on Shaftesbury Avenue. <laughs> but who achieved her greatest fame in Hollywood, where she was applauded for her cat on a hot tin roof, praised for her fanny by gaslight, <laughs> and acclaimed by everyone who remembers her splendor in the grass. <laughs> Last week, I went back once again to visit Lady Counterblast, as she now is, at her isolated country home at Chattering Park. and I claim the five quid. No, it's just a trick of the light. I'm Kenneth Horn. Ah, you may jest, but you haven't seen what I've seen. Tis time, tis the error for the headless abbot of chattering power to manifest itself. Oh, ah, I've seen him too, you see. Yes, he comes a galloping by, holding his cassock above his knees. Yes, he be a looking for his head. Oh, here he comes now. Oh, evening, George. Evening, Mr. Spasm. <laughs> Can't see where he's going. <laughs> ah, that's the worst of having no aid. <laughs> oh, I suppose you'll be wanting to see the mistress. Yes, yes, yes. Ah, follow me. Tis the young master. Young master. <laughs> uh, Mr. Hall. Ah. The headless abbot is back, ma'am. Shall I make up a bed in the spare room? No, no, no. The mad nun's in there. Oh. <laughs> all right, Spasm, you may leave us. We'll be all doomed. Doomed, we'll be doomed. I've got a patch of the doomed. <laughs> well, now, Lady Counterblast, in the past few weeks, you've told us about your early years on the stage, but I believe you made your biggest impact in films. Now... You started in silent pictures, didn't you? Yes, yes, I did. I often appeared in Fatty Arbuckle shorts. Oh. Yes, yes. They were the biggest draws in Hollywood at the time. 
Well, perhaps you'd like to see some excerpts from my films. I have the projector set up here. I'll just switch it on. Now, this is one of the first talkies I made at Elstree Studios. I co-starred with Hamilton Grosvenor. Oh, yes, I remember the film. It was called Brief Incidents. It's starting. Oh, put your bags on the rack. Thank you, darling. Well, this is a goodbye. Yes, darling. The train leaves in five minutes. God, darling, how I hate railway stations. I, I shall always remember those last few sad, sweet, unutterably poignant moments. I suppose you'll be going back to your husband and the children in Hadley Wood. <laughs> My place is with Roger. He needs me. I need you too. Oh, God, I need you, darling. Don't! Don't, darling. It makes it so much more difficult. I can't help myself, darling. Must you go? Yes, but I shall always remember this brief meeting, these stolen moments of bitter, sweet madness. No. Oh, the train will be moving soon. Goodbye. One last kiss. Try not to forget me. No, I won't. I won't. Oh, and here's sixpence for your trouble, Porter. Thank you, madam. <laughs> They were wonderful films we made at Elstree. But then I got an offer to go back to Hollywood. Darrell left Poltergeist. Said um, he'd make a star of me if I would just come across. <laughs> and did you? Many times. <laughs> many, many times. Many, many, many times. In those days, the fashion was for films based on the lives of the great. Here is a scene from the one I enjoyed most, where I played Mrs. Giulio Marconi, wife of the famous inventor. I got a delange. Come in, carissima. All of the time, are you working on your invention? You got no time for me and the bambinos no more. Oh, what the, what the bambinos? Uh, Giuseppe, Luigi, Roberta, Enrico, Maria, Marcello, Gina, Rudolfo, Claudio, Leonardo, Beniamino, Filippo. Wait a minute, I haven't finished. <laughs> Sofia, Benito, and Seamus. <laughs> Seamus? I don't remember no Seamus. Oh, Seamus, Seamus. You know, the little one with the red hair and the freckles and the Irish accent and the... Hey, you know you're quite a writer. Must have belonged to Mrs. Riley up the road. <laughs> What's wrong with you, Julien Moore? 
I have only just finished it. It's a magnifico idea. It's going to make the name of Marconi remembered always. Look at charisma here on the bench. What? This little box with wires and valves inside it. Look, it works like this. You turn this little knob so. This week, uh, Have a Go comes to you from the sewage farm at Chichester. <laughs> oh! It's a marvelous invention. What are you going to call it? Spaghetti o bolognese. <laughs> Hollywood, what a wonderful experience. Uh, that's where I got my Oscar, you know. I'm afraid that's all I have left of my long career. A great comfort and a great source of pleasure to me in my old age. Oh, I, I didn't realise you had company, Beatty. I'll come back later when you're alone. Who's that muscular young man in the leopard skin bathing trunks? That's my Oscar. And that concludes the Fissold Saga, a story to warm your hearts. Now, something to turn your stomach over. <laughs> The Fraser Hayes Ford to sing a track from their new LP, Izzy Bon at Ober Amagal.
Fraser Hayes for As Good As Ever. And now, Trends. This is the section of the show devoted to the pace setters, the trendy with it crowd, those with get up and go. And if you've got that get up and go feeling, well, I should do it now before we start. <laughs> first, first fashion. Hair is being worn shoulder length this season. Not by me, it isn't. <laughs> Mary Quant has done it again. <laughs> She's done something incredible in oil skin. <laughs> Well, I think that's her own affair. <laughs> medicine. Now, what are the new trends in medicine? The question they're all asking in Harley Street is, how can one avoid catching Trumpshaw's disease? Well, the answer is quite simple. Keep well clear of Trumpshaw. <laughs> but what are the trendy people suffering from? Well, with me in the studio tonight is Dr. Mendelssohn Privet, doctor to the stars of show business. Good evening. That will be five guineas. <laughs> Now, uh, tell me, Doctor, you number among your patients many celebrities. Oh, yes. Uh, I was consultant on Ringo's tonsils. I treated Bernard Levin for his inferiority complex. <laughs> and uh, I once treated Janet Scott for frostbite. <laughs> and I believe you recently operated on all of the Rolling Stones. Uh, yes, to remove moss. And then, uh, of course, I treat the animal celebrities. Oh. Pinky and Perky. This is a nasty case of swine fever, that one. <laughs> it's called it only last week when Ollie Beak got the moth. <laughs> but I suppose I'm best known in this field because I'm actually the man who attended to Bill and Ben when they were pot-bound. <laughs> but I also deal with the mind. Young Helen Shapiro, I treated him. And then, <laughs> and then I had this patient, he, terrible mixed up he was. He thought he was Kenneth Williams. There was nothing I could do for the poor wretch. You see, it turned out he was. <laughs> Ouch. Oh, tragic. Well, it's been a privilege having you here, Dr. Privet. Now, uh, since we've been doing these trend spots, I've become more appearance conscious. So I popped into one of those gents' boutiques in Chelsea to get myself some with it accoutrement. Now, this shop... <laughs> this shop had one of those very masculine names. Oh, I can't... Oh, a Butch, I think it was called. Coming, Doctor. <laughs> oh, hello. I'm Sandy, and this is my friend Julian. Aren't you those two actors from Renter Chap Male Domestics? Uh, yes, we're resting. <laughs> Just filling in between jobs. Normally we do commercials. I mean, you may have seen me in that one where me and this girl scamper through the snow, then we drink hot chocolate, and then whatever her pleasure is, I complete it. <laughs> takes this part lovely. <laughs> and often? Yes. What can we actually show you? Well, I thought it was about time I sort of got with it sartorially. Mm. Yes. 
Mm. Well, let's see what we've got. How about a pair of tight jeans? Got the calves for it, hasn't he, Sam? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, he's definitely got the calves. But what about the ankle? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let's face it. Bit on the thick side. Yes. Well, what's that got to do with it? Well, if we've got thick ankles, we'd never get them on. <laughs> There's some nice lime green. <laughs> <laughs> There's some nice lime green raffia hipsters, though. <laughs> See yourself in hipsters? Well, no, I'm more the sort of paunchster sort, I fancy. <laughs> now, what I had in mind was a suit. Something fairly conservative, something I can wear when I go to my club. How about this Lurex sucker with a polka dot motif? <laughs> I couldn't wear that at my club. It's what we wear when we go to our club. What club's that? <laughs> what club's that? The Marine Commando Club in Paddington. Yes, all right. But it's hardly the same, hardly the same as the Athenaeum. Oh, you are hot, oh. please. Come on, Judy, show him your swatch. Yes. <laughs> have a quick browse through these. See, you have your bold tartan, your herringbones, your hind's tooth, your theosaka. Then there's your Aris Tweed. Show him your Aris, Julian. <laughs> He's got a very bold Alice. <laughs> I have. It's purple with a sort of gold fleck. Yeah. Very unusual. I rather like that. <laughs> well, let's have her measurements. I'll call them out, Judy, and you write them down. That's All right. Yeah. Now, chest, 42. 42. Uh, banded, 42. <laughs> Waist, 42. 42. Hips, 42. Well, you are consistent. <laughs> Pity the shift's gone out of fashion. <laughs> now, what do you think, Julie, to go with it? I suggest these bell-bottom white leather trousers. Mm. Mm. And then the fluorescent shirt with a tab collar. Oh, fab. Mm. <laughs> now, don't you think that's going a bit too far? No! <laughs> no. Now, there, if you'd just like to slip in the changing room, put the stuff on, we'll wrap up your old suit. Oh, thank you. And put it in the incinerator. <laughs> so, anyway, ten minutes later, I walked out of that shop looking like a different person. <laughs> Silla Black. <laughs> My case comes up next Tuesday. <laughs> but um, I shall plead the headaches again, I think. <laughs> well, that's nearly the end of the show. All remains for me now is to give you the results of last week's limerick competition. The winning entry came from... A Mr. Griffith of Little Chellington, Warwickshire, and goes as follows. A young market gardener from Bude developed a cactus quite lewd. He said when it trembles, it rather resembles Sophia Loren in the nude. So, uh, 
Anyhow, this week's opening two lines are two men in a factory near Cork were eating their soup with a fork. <laughs> now, all you have to do is to com complete the next three lines of the limit. <laughs> and send your entries, please, not to me personally, but to Round the Horn, care of the BBC London W1, and to the sender of the best complete limerick goes this week's prize, a do-it-yourself taxidermist kit comprising, <laughs> comprising a live gorilla, <laughs> a loaded gun, <laughs> and 300 weight of K-pop. <laughs> well, that's all for now, so cheerio, see you next week. Round the Horn, starring Kenneth Horn, with Kenneth Williams, Hugh Paddock, Betty Marsden, and Bill Pertwee. On the musical side, you heard the Fraser Hayes Four and Paul Fenelay and the Hornblowers, with incidental music composed by Edwin Brayton. The script was written by Barry Took and Marty Feldman, and the recorded programme was produced by John Simmons. <laughs>